We'll be in Proverbs 16. I realize we were in 17 last week, but we're going to go back a chapter to consider a proverb. Before we do, I would just like to uh, just offer um, just my my compassion, Leslie, to you and your family that you're here. The uh, Kramers came here and Gary said we weren't going to be here this morning, but we couldn't think of anywhere we'd rather be. And uh, I'm so glad you guys are here. I am. I know this is hard. I We got the call yesterday that your mom had passed away, and we were in the middle, toward the end, actually, of the, of the teaching through Second Timothy. And if you were here, you know that this it was Paul's last letter, and he wrote it knowing that his, he said his words, the time of my departure has come. The time of my departure. Um, Leslie, I just want to speak this to you and to your family. That, that word, departure, um, in the Greek is very... Very picturesque. It, it speaks of three things. It speaks, first of all, of a traveler packing up his tent, getting ready to go. It speaks also of, um, what is the second one? Oh, a farmer unyoking his oxen at the end of a long work day. And the time of my departure speaks of a ship sailing away. And so it was Paul saying, you know, it, it's been a long road of work. Time to unhitch the oxen. The work is done. And the ship sailing away home. And the traveler packing up the tent and saying, now it's time. Because as Paul said, we live in tents right now. These bodies are tents, temporary dwellings. That one day we all have the opportunity and the joy of packing up to go home. And so uh, we feel your loss. We love you guys. And we will be praying for you this week. And any, anything we can do, as I told you, as, as a fellowship to help, we will. Well, Father, before we open up this proverb this morning, we thank you, Lord, for the comfort of Jesus. And, Lord, I just I can't imagine living life without the assurance of where we are sailing to. Lord, when we all pack up the tents of these bodies, whether it's by, by dying, Lord, or when you call, either way, the tent will be packed up. And when that happens, Lord, I... I I just pray that we'll be so filled with joy and, and readiness. I pray for preparation, even in the things we study this morning, that our hearts would be prepared for the coming of Jesus. That our hearts would be prepared for the leaving of this world. And that we might be a people who are constantly reminded that it is not about this world. It is an eternal uh, path that we are on. And Lord, may our lives be about the business of sharing this truth. And loving people enough to point them in the direction of Jesus, our hope and our future. And Lord, we all look forward to the day when the time of our departure comes. But until then, Father, we walk by your Spirit. We are guided by your presence. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to refine, nurture, and and disciple us after the pattern of Jesus. We pray this this morning in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll be in Proverbs 16. We are embarking on a great building project. And it's going to take time, and it's going to take energy, it's going to require volunteers and focus and resilience and determination and faithfulness, and I'm not talking about the building on Troxel Road. Not talking about a structure. We are involved in a great 
building projects. But building projects in terms of wood and concrete and steel are not our ministry. Building people is our ministry. Building people. And by the way, with that in mind, building people, we want to encourage our graduates, and that's going to happen next week. Next Sunday, uh, we're going to pray for um, our high school graduates. We have some gifts for them, and we're going to honor them. And so parents of graduates, make sure you are here next week with your student, or, or I get their gift. So that's going to work. We're involved in the business of building people, and we've got to remember that. Never forget that. Any focus in any church that takes our eyes off of loving people, caring for people, and building up people is a wrong focus. Our business is the business of people. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9 tells us God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him. Therefore, Paul says, therefore encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are doing. It's a building project that we are in, and we have been in since Jesus called us to it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And we are the body of Christ. So it's a building project that we're involved in. And of all the tools we have for building each other up, appropriately spoken words are the most effective. Just the right word at the right time. A few weeks back we talked about the power of words, particularly related to the gospel, noting that with God no spoken word is without power. When you speak the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are speaking words of power. Words that can get into a heart where perhaps human words wouldn't. But there's another concept here of words, more personal, more one-to-one. More about how we speak and what we speak into each other's lives. Proverbs 16.24 Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. That should be a song right there. (laughs) Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Now we looked at this verse a couple of Wednesdays back as we were going through chapter 16. And I noted at the time, when I was a little bitty boy just up off the floor, we used to go down to Grandma's house every month end or so. We'd have chicken pie and country ham, homemade butter on the bread. The best darn thing about Grandma's house was a great big feather bed. Do you guys know that song? I'm thinking, how far do I have to quote this before people will dial in the old John Denver song? No, actually, my grandma lived in McAllen, Texas, and we lived in California, so we didn't go down to her house every month end or so. But we went and visited her several times in my childhood, and one of the things I remember most was arriving with the expectation of honeycomb. You see, near my grandmother's house in McAllen, Texas, there was a bee farm, a honey farm, and so she always had fresh, raw honey with the comb in it, and the little bee wings and all the stuff in it, you know, that, that comes, all those nutrients. <laughs> and I loved it. It was the first time in my Southern California boy's life I had had real honey. You know, not honey sauce. Or the honey that we get processed in the store that takes all the goodness out of it. Real honey in the comb. And I, I remember crunching on that comb and eating it. And every time that I knew we were going back to Grandma's house for a visit in the summertime, oh, all I thought of was honeycomb. 
for weeks crunching the honeycomb. And I'd walk in the door and I wouldn't even say hello to Grandma. I'd just say, where's the honeycomb? (laughs) Honeycomb. You know, raw honey right off the comb. I I looked this up. It has great nutritional value. In fact, what's interesting about it, and I, you know, I've got to know that whether or not Solomon knew this, the Holy Spirit obviously knew it. Honey, raw honey, real honey, energy-wise, has a one-to-one balance of glucose and fructose. Big deal. It, it is a big deal. Because what it provides is both immediate and sustained energy. Real honey does. Immediate energy because the glucose in honey is absorbed quickly. And so it gives you an immediate boost. But the fructose in honey is absorbed slowly and gives you long-term energy as well. And so you end up with both. And I was thinking, wow, pleasant words are like glucose. Absorbed quickly. You know, they bring an immediate smile to the face. Immediate joy to the heart. Well, thanks. Hey, that felt good. All right. Pleasant words like glucose. Proverbs 15.23 says, How delightful is a timely word. Proverbs 15.30 says, Bright eyes gladden the heart and good news puts fat on the bones. And it doesn't take long to put fat on the bones. (laughs) Pleasant words are absorbed quickly. But pleasant words are also like the fructose in honey. They are absorbed slowly. They are long-lasting. They produce long-term effects that can impact your life for days, months, even years later. They're sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And by the way, there are seven Proverbs that refer to the bones in our bodies. Seven different ones. Proverbs 3, verse 7 says, Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4 says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness to his bones. Proverbs 14, verse 30, and, and by the way, if anyone understood about rottenness to the bones. It would have been Solomon with how many wives? You know, 700 wives and concubines? Talk about rotten bones. Anyway, uh, chapter 14, verse 30 says, A tranquil heart is life to the body, but passion is rottenness to the bones. That doesn't mean being passionate about something. That means being always rushing and hurrying and, and, and your life being stressed out. It's going to rot your bones. That's what he's saying there. Proverbs 15, 30 Again, bright eyes gladden the heart and good news puts fat on the bones. Proverbs 17.22 A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Proverbs 25.15 By forbearance a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue breaks the bone. Why does he talk about the bones so much? Because what Solomon is getting at here, I believe, is that the bones represent something deep inside of us. You can't get much further inside a man, inside a woman, than the internal part of the bone. I mean, that, that's deep inside. And Solomon's talking about this deep internal aspect of who we are. But note this, Proverbs 16.24, our, our verse for this morning, is the only one that refers to healing in the bones. It's pleasant words that go deep and heal thoroughly. And God knew this. In fact, He created us this way. He created us such that the speaking of pleasant words would affect us deeply and would affect us immediately. And so He began the whole process of human life with pleasant words. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 tells us God blessed them. Pleasant words. The word of blessing. 
God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, over every other living thing that moves on the earth. Genesis chapter 5, verse 2 tells us again, He created them male and female, and He blessed them and named them, note this, He named them man, Adam. He named Adam and Eve man. You know, mankind in general. There was a sense when God created man and woman of man and woman together. Of the equality of His creation. Not of one over the other. Remember, we've talked about that that came in the curse. That was a curse, not the original blessing or the original intention of God. He created them, male and female, blessed them and named them in the day they were created. Genesis 9.1 tells us God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The most pleasant words are words of blessing. And the Lord knew this about us. And He began us with blessing, with these pleasant words. And God loves to do it. He's very good at it. And he continues to do it. He blessed Abraham, Genesis 12, 15, 17. He blessed Isaac, Genesis 26. He blessed Jacob, Genesis 32. And people began to catch on. The pattern of of pleasant words developed in the form of the blessing. Of one man, one woman blessing another. Now, if you'd like to jot this down this morning, I want to talk about three types of blessing. Three types of pleasant words that are sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Number one, we can call the patriarchal blessing. The patriarchal blessing. God passed along the pleasant words of blessing to the patriarchs. And then they began, learned from God, they began to bless their offspring as well. To bless their own. And the blessing of the patriarch would involve three things. Three aspects of the blessing of the patriarch. First was physical affection. That is, the laying on of hands. A father would lay his hands on his son to offer him blessing. The physical affection. Dads, let me encourage you. I know next Sunday's Father's Day. Let's go ahead and deal with it right now. Let me encourage you from one father to another that the physical touch of a father to his kids speaks volumes in terms of love and connection. Well, my son knows he loves me. Took him fishing seven years ago. You know? I slug him when I go by every now and then. I'm talking putting your hand on, on their shoulder, hugging your sons, hugging your daughters. Dads, by the way, if you want to be about the protection of your daughters against sexual activity before marriage, the best way to do it is show them affection at home. Appropriately, appropriate fatherly affection. Hugs and love. And care for them in, in a physical way. Husbands and wives, you need to touch each other daily. And I'm not just talking about everybody's looking around going, oh, you talking about what I'm in here? What kind of marriage does he have? Tell him, tell him. I am talking about the touch of affection. Again, a hug, a kiss, a, a holding. Husbands and wives, that needs to be shared. When that starts to break down, that's, that's a first sign something's not right. Either life's getting too busy or emotions are getting detached, but there needs to be the physical touch, the laying on of hands. Church family, there is an appropriate affection one to another that we need to not lose in our hypersensitive society. 
<laughs> and, and I, you know, I'm fully aware of and utilize the pastoral hug, ladies. <laughs> hey, good to see you. You know? <laughs> Trying to be appropriate. And yet, Paul, four different times the Apostle Paul called on church fellowships to greet one another with a holy kiss. Emphasis on the word holy. I know there's some guys out there going, all right. <laughs> Paul says in Romans 12.10, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And so the patriarchal blessing did that. It showed physical affection. A father laying hands upon a son, on his head, on his shoulders, speaking blessing into his life. And blessing involved that physical touch. Secondly, the patriarchal blessing involved personal encouragement. The personal encouragement, it wasn't just the laying on of hands, but it was the laying out of character. Son, this is what I see in you. Daughter, this is, this is how I, I see you. This is... These are the gifts that I see in you. These are the talents that, that, that I believe the Lord has given you. When the Father in the patriarchal blessing blessed the Son, He always said that. Son, this is what I see in you. In fact, keep your finger there and go back to Genesis chapter 49. One of the key passages in all of Scripture, especially prophetically, is absolutely astounding. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. But in Genesis 49, verse 14, we have old Jacob, Israel. And Israel begins to bless his twelve sons, who would ultimately be the twelve tribes of Israel. And Jacob's there, and he calls his sons in. And if you skip down, look at verse 14 of Genesis 49. He's talking to his son Issachar, and he says, Issachar is a strong donkey. I don't like the way that reads in the King James Version. I like it better in the New American Standard. I'll let you think about that. Issachar is a strong... Some of you are going to get that like in an hour. What I just said. But, or someone's going to go home and look it up. King James... Oh, that's funny! So, Genesis 49, 14. Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between the sheepfolds. And when he saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, he bowed his shoulder to bear burdens and became a slave at forced labor. What is Jacob saying here? He's saying, Issachar, you get the job done. You're a workhorse, Issachar. I've noticed you. I've seen you in the field. You are a go. You're a get it done kind of a guy. He's blessing his son, Issachar. Down in verse 20, Asher. As for Asher, his food shall be rich, and he will yield royal dainties. Asher, you're a gourmet, man. (laughs) You're a chef extraordinaire. You need to be about the business of cooking up good stuff. Down in verse 21, Naphtali is a doe let loose. He gives beautiful words. Naphtali, son, you are gracefully articulate. Boy, when you speak, you really know how to speak. This is something I see in you, Jacob is saying to his boy. In verse 22, Joseph, Jacob's favorite son, Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. Its branches run over a wall. Oh, the archers bitterly attacked him and shot at him and harassed him, but his bow bow remained firm and his arms were agile from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Joseph showed himself to be productive and faithful. And Jacob saw this, and his son, you are a productive boy. You're a faithful son, Joseph. Down in verse 27, I like this, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. 
In the morning, he devours the prey. In the evening, he divides the spoil. Benjamin, you're a go-getter. And so Jacob went one by one and blessed his sons. And he said, sons, this is what I see in you. This is what I see in you, boys. Now, in Jacob's case, some of what he saw in his sons wasn't so good. Some of it was not exactly the most pleasant of words. And you can go back and read through Genesis 49 and see that. But what he declared, even in the negative over his sons, was words of warning. Words of warning. And fathers, you can do that. And mothers, you can do that with your kids. Words of warning, just saying, you know, I see this direction and I'm concerned about it. You need to change the direction. Because if you don't, what's going to happen is the stuff of prophecy. What's absolutely amazing is how Jacob prophesies, says these things over his sons, and you can track each of the twelve tribes of Israel, even today, and they bear these characteristics. And so Jacob, he knew his boys. And he laid hands on them, and he laid out their character, physical affection, personal encouragement. And by the way, parents, we need to learn to be students of our children. And what I mean by that is watching them, paying attention to what they do, what they're good at, how they're blessed, how they're gifted, what their faults and flaws may be. And as we recognize those in our kids, speaking those things into their lives, Helping them become aware of what it is that you are seeing as you guide, as you shepherd them as parents. The patriarchal blessing. By the way, Bridge family, this holds true for the whole church as well. That we study the good in each other. That we're students of each other. That we're paying attention to one another's gifts. And when you recognize the gift in somebody, you lay it out for them. You tell them. You know, every time I'm around you, I am so encouraged. You must have the gift of encouragement. You know, you're so hospitable. I'm sure that's, that's your spiritual gift. Why do we have to take spiritual gift inventories at all? Shouldn't the family be our spiritual gift inventory? If we are functioning as we are called to function as a fellowship, then you should already know what your gifts are because the rest of the fellowship is telling you. And you're telling others. Laying out of character. Patriarchal blessing. But it was also, as I indicated, not only physical affection or personal encouragement, but the patriarchal blessing was prophetic declaration. That is, laying up the future. Pointing to the future. Giving a vision. In the blessing, pleasant words that give a vision for the future. Jacob's prophetic insights, as I said, played out in their sons' lives and their tribes' lives across the centuries, even to present day. And the greatest was the prophecy of the lion of the tribe of Judah. Look at verse 8 of Genesis 49. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Judah was going to be a leader. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who dares rouse him up? Oh, Judah, not only are you a leader, you're a lion. He says in verse 10, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Judah, you're going to be a lord. From you is going to come a lord. 
He ties his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull or literally darker than wine and his teeth white from milk. You get this picture now of, of a lamb. And what an amazing prophecy because out of the line of the tribe of Judah, you know, came David. And out of the line of King David would eventually come none other than Jesus Christ, who, who would be leader and lion and lord and lamb. And all of this was in the prophecy of Jacob for his son Judah all the way back in Genesis 49. Amazing. Prophetic declaration. Well, yeah, but Pastor Rick, I'm no prophet. I, I, don't, I don't know what my kid's future is. If, you, if I did, I wouldn't worry so much. <laughs> How can I prophesy over my kids or anyone else for that matter? Here's the deal. Can you edify? Can you exhort? Can you comfort? You see, in the New Testament, we're given a definition of prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14.3, the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation or comfort. And so if you can speak words of edification, exhortation, and comfort, then you can prophesy over your children, over others in the fellowship, bringing that prophetic declaration. Because pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. We see that in the patriarchal blessing. There's so much more I could talk about there, but but we got to move on. There's a second aspect of this. Not just the patriarchal blessing, but the priestly blessing. This was carried out in a couple of ways. The priestly blessing. God is just into blessing. He blessed His people. He called the patriarchs to bless their families. And then, when He set up the priesthood, He called the priests to be people who would bless in two ways. Confirmation and invocation. Confirmation, when the priests or the elders of Israel passed on authority, as with the patriarchal blessing, it involved the laying on of hands. They would gather and lay hands on someone and call them to the place of authority. Numbers chapter 27, verse 18, the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, which is amazing to me. That's got to be a miracle. To be a son of a nun. A man who, in whom is the Spirit. Lay your hand on him, the Lord says. And have him stand before Eliezer the priest, before all the congregation, and commission him in their sight. You shall put some of your authority on him, in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel may obey him. And the Jewish people have a word for this that we discovered yesterday, smikah. Smikah in the Hebrew is the word of passing along authority, and it was passed along by the laying on of hands. According to David Stern, the author of Jewish, the Jewish New Testament commentary, the point of laying on hands in this way dramatized God's bestowal of the blessings and giftings needed for the work. So it's the confirmation of someone's calling, the confirmation of authority. And by the way, that tradition was passed along in the church as well. Passed on, we see in 1 Timothy 4.14. Paul says, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery or the elders. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So there's a connection there between that physical touch and the passing along of pleasant words of blessing. 
There's a connection. God is personal. We talked about this all weekend long. God is a personal God. He wants to be personally involved in your life. He wants you and me to be personally connected. And so that physical touch is a gift of the Lord to accompany blessing. And think about the significance of this. If you were a Joshua or you were Timothy, and the Lord involving this physical touch to pass along spiritual authority. But there was a second, more general priestly blessing for all the people. Turn back to Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. There's confirmation, as in confirming authority on someone. There's also in the priestly blessing, and this was more generalized for all the people of Israel, there is invocation. The blessing that invokes the name of the Lord on another person. Listen to this, verse 22. Number 622. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke My name on the sons of Israel and then I will bless them. What an amazing blessing. By the way, did you see the Trinity in there? Did you catch it? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are involved in this blessing. Note it again, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you, Father. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you, Son. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace, Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit engaged, involved in the priestly blessing. Well, what was this blessing for? It was a key role. Get this. It was a key role of the Aaronic priesthood To bless the congregation. That was their main purpose. It was offering sacrifices, yes, but the main purpose of the priest was to bless the fellowship of believers, the congregation of Israel, to invoke this actual blessing on the people of Israel, to invoke the name Hashem, the name of God, that God would then bless the people Himself. And God was so serious about this that He said, Moses, tell Aaron to tell the people. And you make sure that this is passed along and carried along, this blessing of the priest on the people, the priestly blessing, these pleasant words. Because, you know, pleasant words are like honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And God wanted the soul of Israel to be sweetened and the bones of Israel to be strengthened and healed. So, priests, He says... Offer this blessing. But somewhere along the line, this personal, relational, priestly blessing that called God's name down upon the people became religious. Isn't that just like us? I mean, that is such the pattern of man. God gives something personal and we make it religious. And it became something done by rote. And the second something that is personal becomes religious or done by rote, even the calling down in the name of God is not going to work. Because God's looking for the heart. If you're going to bless someone, you go, oh, bless you, and you're done. But there's no heart involved in it. Where's the blessing? 
God says, I want your hearts engaged in the process. This problem was obviously there when Jesus came along. Because the leaders of Israel in Jesus' day were no longer blessing the people. They were putting burdens on the people. Jesus said about the scribes and Pharisees, Matthew 23, 4, They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, and they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. Leaders of Israel, Jesus is saying, you are supposed to bless which sweetens the soul. Instead, you're tying burdens on their backs. You're making life heavy for them. You've got rules and regulations and things that have to be done. Rules that have to be kept and it's heavy. And that's what religion does. It burdens where there was supposed to be blessing. The priestly blessing was God's way of saying, I want my name showered upon this people because I want to bless them. But religion weighs down instead of lifting up. And it can happen right here in the Bridge Fellowship. If we become more focused on building a church than on blessing the church, then we will lose. We are called to be priests. You know that. Priests of the... Of the what, Brian, where are you? Say it again. Saints of the royal priesthood. Spend any time with Brian. He's going to eventually call you that. We are saints of the royal priesthood. We are called to be priests. Revelation 1.6, He has made us to be a kingdom, priest to His God and Father, to Him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter said in 1 Peter 2.9, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light, the passing on of the blessing of the name of God. And we as priests are called to do that. Sweet words, pleasant words, to bless each other. But we can't proclaim blessing without getting personal. You've got to get personal with this. Why is this all so important? Patriarchal blessing, priestly blessing. Why is it so important today that we even consider this one proverb? Enough that we go back to it instead of going on. A great uh, British theologian, Eric Idle, uh, the Monty Python troupe, he said, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will make me go in a corner and cry by myself for hours. <laughs> Seriously, you know, here's why this is so important. Our culture takes pleasure in wounding. And our world loves to attack and tear down. And we live in a world where souls are scarred by words and bones are brittle from all the brutal verbal attacks that go on. I I remember being in youth ministry and one of the greatest challenges as a youth pastor was not to rip on the kids because they ripped on me. And it's like the way we show affection so-called in our culture is by ripping on people, by tearing down rather than building up. It's completely upside down. It is not God's way. And if you don't believe me, watch five minutes of reality TV. I'm not encouraging you to do that. Big waste of your time. Watch a news station for three or four minutes and you will see this constant verbal attack ripping down, tearing apart with the use of words. And God says, I want my people to use pleasant words. Words that bless. Words that build a body. Words that strengthen. Of course, Jesus said it would get this way. Didn't He? 
Matthew 24.12, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. And in a world that relishes the school of personal attacks and put-downs, we are called to be a people of pleasant words. We are not called in the church to rip on each other. Oh, it may be funny. You know, we may get a snicker out of it. But that's not our business. It should never happen in the fellowship of believers in Jesus Christ. Only words that are fit for building up and encouragement. We are to be those who build, those who bless, who speak, sustaining sweetness and healing into the lives of people who are scarred and broken and sickened and soured by all the language of the world. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, healing to the bones. And here's why this is so vital in the fellowship of believers. When we aren't feeding each other, the honeycomb of pleasant words, when we aren't blessing each other, listen, the result is carnage. Let me give you a graphic example of this. In 1 Samuel 14, and you can turn back there or just listen to the story. 1 Samuel 14, Saul is on the rampage. Uh, He's not after David. He's actually after the Philistines, which isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing. But he's had all of his fighting men fighting hard and long and they're exhausted, they're famished, they're they're worn out. And you may remember the story. Saul says this to the men, verse 24 of 1 Samuel 14, the men of Israel were hard pressed on that day for Saul had put the people under an oath. Cursed be the man who eats food before evening and until I have avenged myself on my enemies so none of the people tasted food. That's a great way to fight. Great way to go into battle, famished, and without any sustenance or nourishment. It was a stupid, arrogant thing of Saul to do, and the results prove it to be so. Verse 25 tells us all the people of the land entered the forest, and there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, there was a flow of honey. But no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But... Jonathan, Saul's son, had not heard when his father put the people under the oath. Therefore, he put out the end of the staff that was in his hand, dipped it in the honeycomb, and I guarantee it wasn't processed, and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes brightened because the glucose kicked in. And then one of the people said, Your father strictly put the people under an oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food today. And the people were weary. And then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See now how my eyes are brightened because I tasted just a little of this honey. And that's what sweet words do. Brighten the eyes. And bright eyes gladden the heart and good news puts fat on the bones. So Jonathan's doing what Jonathan needed to do. The right thing. Tasting the honey. Immediate strength and long-term strength. He had that while everybody else was famished. But the story continues. How much more... Jonathan Jonathan says, If only the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they found. For now the slaughter among the Philistines has not been great. They struck among the Philistines that day from Michmash to Aijalon, and the people were very weary. Saul's order, no food, don't eat. He restricted them from it. And watch what happens. 
The people, verse 32, rushed greedily upon the spoil. They took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Because the honey was denied, carnage was the result. Because the, the, the honeycomb that they could have eaten right there as they were fighting, as they were traveling along, Saul kept them from it. He held back the honey, and the people went carnal. So much for kosher food here. And there's an important spiritual truth in this. That when we hold back pleasant words, we leave each other more vulnerable to carnality. When we are ripping down instead of building up with blessing, we are more vulnerable to sin. Is that kind of a stretch? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says, Encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You want a surefire way to to push sin away from, from this fellowship, from our families, from our relationships? Bless people. Sweet words. Speak the name of God over people in blessing. It drives away the carnal desire because it's sweet to the soul. And when there's something already filling the soul, sweet to the soul, Cheryl went out and bought not Pop-Tarts. Instead of that, she, she bought these little Jell-O dessert cups. And I was rather skeptical. 60 calories. That's like a cookie, you know. That's nothing. And I had one last night. It was really good. And you know when I was done with that flimsy little 60 calorie Jell-O mint chocolate dessert cup? I was done. It was sweet. It's all I needed. I just needed a little... I said, I need something sweet. A little something. You know? A little something sweet. And it was just what I needed. I didn't have to go out and make a burger. (laughs) Because the soul was sweetened. This is what we're talking about. Sweeten the soul with pleasant words, blessing and encouragement, and the name of the Lord. And it has this tendency to drive the carnality away from us. But maybe... Maybe the problem is you've missed out on the blessing. Maybe you're like Esau. Like Esau who foolishly, you know the story, if you've read it, you you know that he foolishly sold his birthright to Jacob for a pot of stew, Genesis 25 tells us. He came home famished, he was hungry, and the man's man said, I need some meat. What do you got there? Lentils? Well, that's something. I want some of that stew. And Jacob, the, the homemaker, said, um, <laughs> Jacob was more of an indoor kind of a guy. Or, or yeah, was Jake, yeah, it's Jacob. And Jacob said to his brother, Well, I'll, I'll give you some stew. You give me your birthright. Well, birthright, smirthright. Give me some stew. And so he sold his birthright to Jacob. He said, Okay, you can have it. I, what do I need a birthright for if I'm, if I'm dying of starvation here. So, you know, he went to town on the stew. In Genesis 27, it all came back to bite Esau. What he had given away. And the story is marvelous. I love that these stories are in the Bible. Genesis 27, Isaac says, old Isaac, who is now blind, says, it's time for me to bless my boy. Where's Esau? Esau, go out and and hunt for me and bring back food and prepare it the way you do a savory meal and I'll eat it and I'll give you your blessing. Esau, alright, so he heads off to hunt completely forgetting that he had already sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob's mother heard this 
and grabbed Jacob and said, quickly, go put on some of Esau's clothes. I'm going to prepare a meal the way Esau does. And she even took uh, little you know, lamb skins and wrapped them around his forearms and around his neck so it would be hairy like Esau. <laughs> and she sends him in. Jacob goes in there. And Isaac says, smells like Esau. <laughs> he had his clothes on. He touched him. Oh, feels like my son Esau, but the voice sounds more like Jacob. Which is funny to me. I really wonder what their voices were like. You know, was Esau like a man's man? Was Jacob more kind of a fella? You know? <laughs> no, Dad, it's me. It's Esau, your son, your firstborn. I don't know. <laughs> but Isaac is fooled. And Isaac, Isaac blesses Jacob. He gives the full blessing on him. Hand on his head, lays out the patriarchal blessing, offers it to him. Here's the problem. It was serious business, this blessing. Once it was given, it was not taken back. Esau comes in out of the out of the fields after hunting, brings a meal, I'm here, Dad. You know? Isaac's eyes pop open. He's still blind, but they're popped open. <laughs> you were already here. I, I wasn't here. I, I already gave the blessing to your son. Do you remember what happened with Esau, what he did? When he realized what had happened, Genesis 27:34 tells us he cried out with an exceeding and bitter cry. Verse 38 of that chapter says he lifted up his voice and he wept. Esau, the man's man, the rugged outdoorsman, cried like a little bitty baby. Why? Because he didn't get his father's blessing. Makes it hard to bless when you haven't been blessed. Listen, like Esau, many of us here have missed out on the patriarchal blessing. Robert Lewis in Men's Fraternity calls it the father wound. And it affects women as well as men. The father wound is men and women crying out because they never had a father's affection or encouragement or consolation. And maybe that's you. Now listen, I'm not meaning to go back and dredge up the past. I'm really not into past stuff because something's happened in our lives. But perhaps you're in that place. And when a father doesn't bless son or daughter, when that blessing is not passed on and given, when those pleasant words have not been spoken, it can leave a person wondering, who am I? Well, what's my direction? What's my future? What are my gifts? What's my character? Did my father ever even really care about me? An unspoken blessing, or worse, rash cursing, can deeply wound a child. And maybe that's you. Maybe you missed out on the patriarchal blessing. Maybe you missed out on the priestly blessing. Perhaps church for you growing up was more of a curse than a blessing. Maybe mom or dad or or, or a relative forced you to go and when you went it was harsh and it was uncaring and it was heavy duty religious pressure and weight. Maybe some pastor or priest or, or religious system tied a heavy burden around your neck and there was no blessing in church for you. So you miss out on the blessing. And you wonder, how can I bless others? Especially in the church. When I was never blessed there, 
How can I bless when I haven't even been blessed at home? I wouldn't raise this issue if there wasn't an answer for us. And it's a wonderful answer. If you have missed out on the blessing, be it priestly or patriarchal or personal in your life, listen, God wants to restore it to you. God, your Father, Jesus, our great High Priest, the Holy Spirit, our personal comforter, would this morning say, I have a blessing for you to restore all that was lost, to give you what you need. Let me read it to you. Put down your Bibles for a second. In fact, just close them up. And I'd like you to just listen. I want to read over you as a fellowship this morning a patriarchal, priestly, and personal blessing that is for you today. I am absolutely convinced of this. This is for you today. And it comes out of the first chapter of Ephesians, so you can go back and look it up later. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. God, our Father, our great Patriarch, has blessed all of us spiritually. When you come to Jesus Christ, and there's so much that that the world does not get about becoming a Christian. So much that God is just waiting to do. That we rarely talk about. Give your life to the Lord. You've got to do this, you've got to do this, and you've got to do this. And we don't talk about it. But here's what God has. In fact, coming to the Lord is far more about what God has to do for you, what He is waiting to do for you, than anything you will ever do for Him. And God the Father has every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places just waiting there. And if you missed out on a Father blessing, you have the Father blessing. The blessing of God on you, blessing you spiritually. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us. Jesus the Son is our great High Priest and He has blessed you sacrificially. You have the Father blessing. You have the priestly blessing in Jesus. And then... In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. To the praise of His glory, the Holy Spirit, that personal helper, has blessed you eternally, sealing your inheritance in Christ. Isn't that marvelous? You may have missed out on every other kind of blessing. You may have been torn up in the church, beaten up at home. But you come to the Lord, and the patriarchal blessing of pleasant words is on you, and the priestly blessing of Jesus Christ's sacrifice is on you, and the personal blessing of His Spirit sealing your salvation and securing you a place in God's family for all eternity is on you. The blessing. Pleasant words. Don't look back. Just don't waste time looking back. Bemoaning lost blessings. 
Chances are, by the way, if you were not blessed by an earthly father, your father wasn't blessed by his father either. And he's just functioning out of his pain. And his father was probably functioning out of his pain who was functioning out of the pain of his father before him. We are one messed up lot of people. (laughs) And we don't know how to bless until we have been blessed. Listen, you've been blessed. The sweet words of Jesus Christ spoken over you, the pleasant words of God the Father, the healing words of His Holy Spirit. Now, if that's all a bit too theological for you, how about this? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Pleasant words are a honeycomb sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Father, we receive Your blessing this morning. Lord Jesus, we receive Your blessing over this fellowship. We are a blessed church, Lord. We're a blessed group of people gathered together here in this barn. And we are part of a larger blessed group of people across the centuries. Not blessed by our behavior and our actions, but blessed, Lord, by Yours. And we are blessed individuals. Father, Your Spirit, You you know what You want to speak into our hearts this morning. I just pray, if, if, if I can offer my suggestion, Lord, I ask that You will give our hearts the ability today to receive Your blessing and to begin to walk as blessed sons and daughters of our glorious Father and Priest and Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing this song, a new song that Heather sang. We're going to have her come back up and do that song. And while we're doing it, um, I, I have you stand and you can sing with us, but I want to offer you opportunity to be prayed for. Uh, I, I realize that teaching like this, when we recognize some of the wounds of the past and things, it can open up some, some hurt. And I encourage you, while we're singing this song, to go to the back. We'll have shepherds back there uh, to meet you and, and to pray with you. Uh, if not, stand there and praise God and thank Him for His great blessing. Amen? Let's stand up together.